Samji was, frankly, just some sociopath. She was literally just that. She was a pathological liar who preyed on people. She's not the first and she's not the last, and, and there's nothing. Arvind, to me, much more interesting case study. Much more interesting. Welcome back to Victim Impact. In our third episode, we're going to look at the involvement of Arvind Patel, who introduced nearly half of the victims to Rashida Samji's Ponzi scheme. We looked at Samji's story in episode two. Between 2003 and 2012, she signed up over 200 people in a scam involving about $118 million. She told these people that they were investing in the Mark Anthony Group, a wine company, which supposedly wanted to expand business into South America and South Africa. It was a complete fiction. Patel, an investment advisor at the credit union Coast Capital Savings, and his family members collectively lost nearly $2 million in the scheme. Samji's scheme, being a fiction of course, had nothing to do with Coast Capital. Aside from the fact that Patel was selling it out of his office and helping to arrange lines of credit there so that his clients could invest even more. Samji plays the starring role in this story, but Patel is an interesting character in his own right. He was a complete enigma. Complete enigma. I'm Tim Carlson, the researcher and writer of this podcast. Hello, I'm Kathleen Flaherty, co-producer of Victim Impact. The podcast is made possible with the support of our donors. We need your help to raise $2,500 so we can continue the investigation. Log on to conspiracy.ca and click the donate button to make a tax-deductible gift today. A donation of any amount will allow us to continue researching, recording, and creating the stage production that will shine light on one of the most prolific Ponzi schemes in BC history and answer the question, how did this happen? He was a victim of his own salesmanship. When I heard lawyer Scott Nichols say that, I thought it was an ironically accurate description of what I'd heard and read about Patel previously. Here was an investment advisor of some 30 years experience who didn't do even the most basic due diligence before selling his clients, co-workers, friends, family, and himself on Samji's massive fraud scheme. Scott Nickel represented a group of Patel's clients at Coast Capital. They had banded together to get a better deal on legal fees regarding civil suits aimed at getting some of their money back. In total, Patel had convinced about 90 investors to place nearly $29 million with Samji. I honestly sat there for days on end trying to figure out what the hell made him tick. Yeah. Because from my standpoint, it was important you know, on any cross-examination of him that I was going to do at the trial that I understand how to get at that. And I just... Yeah, he was a complete enigma. Complete mm. enigma. Patel was very good at developing warm personal relationships with his clients. This came through in conversations I had with numerous victims of the Coast Capital Group, 
and in reading excerpts of victim impact statements. James Pierce became one of Patel's clients in 1996. And then once in a while, we'd, we'd get together and uh, we, we started just going for coffee. And he said, hey, let's go over to the coffee shop across the street and I'll buy you a coffee. He'd buy me lunch and sometimes I'd buy him lunch. You know, and then we, we went to a hockey game together. I got two tickets given to me and I phoned him up and said, you, you want to go to a hockey game? He said, yeah, so... We went to the hockey game, and uh, and then after that, we went for dinner at a restaurant in downtown Vancouver. And it was sweet. We had that kind of a relationship, and I trusted him. Pierce has a very hard time believing that Patel had no knowledge that the scheme was a fraud. But he's definitely in the minority. Even lawyer Scott Nickel believes Patel. And so, you know, I have to admit, and, and I've, I've said this to a number of my clients, this was probably as big a surprise to Arvind as it was to them when it failed. Now, does that change the fact that, frankly, he should be you know, held accountable for what happened? Of course it doesn't. Of course he should. But if it does anything, I think it sheds some light on our attempt now, in retrospect, to try and understand what happened. Because he was a victim of his own salesmanship, you know, in a sense. And it's sad to say, but I don't have, I really don't have any other explanation for it. And I've lived with this thing for years, you know, and, and, I, and, it, and it's bizarre. And there is a... Nichols' belief is, in fact, in line with the majority of the group of Coast Capital victims that I spoke to, as well as the judge who sentenced Patel last year and the findings of the BC Securities Commission. Patel had no criminal intent but he was woefully negligent as a financial advisor. There are excuses for Sanji and Patel. My, my thinking is that they both got into it fairly innocently. And then once it's one of those things that once you're into it, it gets out of control right. and, and, and you're locked and you, have no, you lose choice. That's Lorne Mallon. He and a handful of others were the leaders of the Coast Capital Group of Victims. Unlike Samji... Patel never faced criminal charges. And unlike the bankrupt Samji, who the commission issued $43 million in fines and penalties, Patel was not fined. The bankrupt Patel had no reasonable way to pay such fines, the commission concluded. Patel had been suspended from his job at Coast Capital when the scam was exposed in early 2012. He had willingly given up his interest in five Vancouver condos. The sales recovered about $1 million. That, along with most of his other assets, like about $400,000 in deposits and two vehicles, were all handed over to the court-appointed receiver. The Securities Commission banned Patel for life from trading or advising on investments. He faced 32 counts of violations under the BC Securities Act. These are not criminal code charges, but they could have resulted in up to three years in jail time. I was present for Patel's sentencing hearing at Surrey Provincial Court in April 2017. Patel was 63 years old at the time, a somewhat stout, balding man with glasses. He seemed poised and in good health. 
There were only about two dozen people there, including Patel and a few friends or family. The lawyers, myself, as well as Dave Peters and Christine Dow, who were both active in the Coast Capital group of victims. Patel pleaded guilty to 13 counts. Crown counsel asked for a sentence of 12 to 16 months in jail, but Patel's defense lawyer argued for a suspended sentence. In his reasons for sentencing, Judge Doherty wrote that Patel was, quote, unaware of the true nature of the Sanji scheme. Mr. Patel, who was duped himself, made no profit from recommending the scheme to others. Although I do acknowledge that he had to know that his involvement of others in this scheme was outside his trading authority. Samji alleged that Patel had brought investors' money in in cash and was paid in cash. Investigators found no evidence of that in her accounting records, but she did once describe her system of payments as having, quote, no system or logic to it. The judge handed Patel a three-year suspended sentence and an order to perform about 200 hours of paid community work. As long as he behaves and reports to a probation officer for that time, he'll suffer little, beyond being banned from working in the financial sector. He has the freedom to travel overseas. In imposing a suspended sentence, it's important in my view to recognize that Mr. Patel was duped himself, Judge Doherty wrote. His referral was for altruistic reasons. This separates him from the class of offenders who commit these types of crime for their own personal gain. James Pierce, Patel's former friend and client, was stunned by Doherty's ruling. But he was determined that Arvind Patel is not going to spend any time in prison, and yet he was the guy that, you know, for whatever reason, and he says he had no idea that this was a Ponzi scheme. Well, you know, his degree of education and his knowledge in the industry, he had to know. Unlike Samji's criminal sentencing, which drew substantial media interest, there were no reporters present that day. In fact, his sentence has never been reported in any media publication that I could find, and I've never seen his photo in any reporting about the case. Sure, Patel's three-year suspended sentence is hardly as newsworthy as Samji's six years in the pen. And perhaps she is simply just a more interesting character. The charismatic high flyer with the penthouse suite, glittering in the glow of social status until her fantastic crash. Whereas Patel has the low-key, nothing flashy, dad-next-door persona. And yet, the fallout of Patel's negligence in bringing 90 clients into the scheme is nearly equal to the 120 or so that Samji lured in. Arvind Patel was born and grew up in Uganda, as did Samji. 
He fled the country at 17, when Idi Amin became the dictator in a military coup. After some time in India and the UK, by 1982 he was in Vancouver. He worked as a financial advisor and investment dealer at Canadian Imperial Bank of Commerce, where he was employed until 1999. In 2002, Patel joined Coast Capital, where he stayed, rising to senior financial advisor, until his suspension in 2012. Except for a leave in 2012 to care for his wife, who was terminally ill with cancer. That's when Samji introduced him to the scam. Samji claimed that while she herself was in hospital fighting cancer, she was scammed by someone and, having to make up her loss, created the scheme with another partner. In her visit with Patel, she was replaying this scene, but now in the opposite role. Patel had known Samji for about 30 years, from Africa. We had family connections, he told the BC Securities Commission in 2012. In the interview, a lawyer asked him how Samji pitched him on the scheme. He described sitting in the lounge area at Eagle Ridge Hospital, discussing the stress he was under due to his wife's illness and the financial pressure of having to take a leave of absence. According to Patel, Samji told him that the Mark Anthony wine investment could help him earn money, quote, without stress and help pay for my wife's expenses. She told me that it was a guaranteed investment, Patel said. It's not going to fluctuate and the returns would always be there. She said that her accounts were audited by the Notary Society. Patel soon invested $100,000. The lawyer asked him if he ever checked with Mark Anthony. Samji had told him it was highly confidential, Patel said, and that her lawyer had been through it, quote, from every angle and assured her that no disclosures were required. It had all the telltale signs of fraud, a confidential, no-risk investment with a guaranteed rate of return. The lawyer asked Patel why that didn't raise any red flags. Patel said that, quote, being a notary is a your word is as good as gold type thing. And she was an old friend. He did say, however, that he did check to see if Samji was a registered notary. So how did all of this happen? The lawyer asked him. Patel replied, I can't believe that with all the education, experience, and qualifications and everything that I just failed to see through this. Rashida presents herself as a very attractive, well-dressed, decent person. A lot of people have been taken in by her because she appears to be very giving, sharing, philanthropic, charitable. She's very prominent in the Ismaili community. She's very well established through the notary society. How does all this make you feel? The lawyer asked. I can't sleep, Patel said. I feel like maybe committing suicide or something because it's such a terrible, terrible tragedy. And so many people's livelihoods are at stake here. I'm in shock. I'm in disbelief. 
I'm demoralized, dejected. I'm ashamed of myself. Some victims say that Patel told them specifically that he had checked with Mark Anthony and did all the other necessary due diligence. He lied, one victim told me, and after a while, I think he began believing his own lies. In early April, I received a call from a friend of Patel's requesting a meeting. The woman thought there were some inaccuracies in my reporting in the pilot episode of Victim Impact. We agreed to meet at the Vancouver Public Library a few days later. I recognized her. She was with Patel at his sentencing hearing. She brought another woman along, also a friend of Patel's. They refused to be recorded and asked that I not use their names. I had referred to Patel in the first episode as Samchi's partner in the scam. They felt that that misrepresented the relationship. After all, they said, the Securities Commission and the judge's ruling had established that Patel had no criminal intent. I said it was interesting to me that Patel, a Coast Capital investment advisor, would bring clients into an investment that wasn't connected with the institution and then do it without compensation. They said that's just who he is, quote, a man who likes to help others, which echoes the judge's belief that Patel's intent was altruistic. The astounding thing to me was that both of these women were also victims of the scam. One had invested over $450,000 and the other about $200,000. Patel had also arranged lines of credit for a portion of these investments. The two women are still friends with Patel because they believe he's just as much of a victim as they are. One said that he had suffered a lot from Samji's betrayal, that Samji and Patel had been close. Samji had even babysat his children at one time she said. Then, unprompted, one of the two said an interesting thing about the scheme. Well, she said, I knew it was kind of crooked. I was greedy, and I have to take responsibility for that. When asked to explain, she said that Samji had told her that she wasn't issuing a T4A for investment income. It was, quote, a tax-free investment. So, Patel's friend admits thinking that the investment was kind of crooked, while having no expectation that Patel, an investment expert, might have thought the same thing and checked to see if it were legit. I asked if Patel had sent them to speak with me. They insisted he did not. The next week, I received a letter from Patel's lawyer, Brock Martland, reiterating the point that Patel was never convicted or charged with any criminal code offense, and warning that if I'm in any way inaccurate in portraying Mr. Patel's conduct, then I could expect to face a lawsuit for defamation and libel. I wrote back saying his warning was duly noted and requested an interview with Patel. I haven't heard back. 
James Pierce was just a few years from retirement when Patel talked him into investing with Samji. He had just sold his dry-cleaning business in Surrey. With $150,000 in profit, Pierce wanted to pay the remaining $30,000 that he owed on his mortgage and put the rest in a retirement plan. Patel not only convinced Pierce to put the entire $150,000 into the wine investment, but also another $100,000 against the value of his home, and invest that as well. At Arvin's guidance, he said, just leave your money in, in the thing there and let it grow and, and live off the uh, dividends that this plan is paying. He says, that's, that's the best thing you can do. So that's what I did. When the scheme collapsed, Pierce lost his principal and could no longer afford to pay off the second mortgage. He suffered two heart attacks within a couple months. And there was, you know, there was times when I'd be sitting here at home in tears, just saying, what the hell happened? And what did I do to deserve this? You know, you, you feel the pangs of guilt dripping all over you because of something that you did. And you say, what, where did I go wrong? You know, the only place that I went wrong is, is I trusted Coast Capital Savings and I trusted Arvind Patel, like 95 other people did. I can't sugarcoat that we, we, we were all very badly treated in the long run. And uh, you can't put a cost to that. It's something I live with every day. Pierce had to sell his home in White Rock, a fairly affluent suburb close to the U.S. border. He now lives in a trailer park in Nanaimo, a more working-class town on Vancouver Island. Yeah, I was hoping to you know, eventually leave my kids a quarter of a million dollars apiece. And, and if I'd stayed there, I could have done that. The house that I lived in in White Rock was now worth about five hundred fifty to 600000 I sold at three forty six. So if I'd waited another three or four years, I could have got that money and sold and then come over here and still bought a nice place like this and for cash and, and be money ahead. And I still would have had uh, disposable income that was somewhere between four and five thousand dollars a month as opposed to just under three which means that I could have afforded to do more I could have traveled uh, maybe not I could probably go to Mexico for a couple of weeks or go to Hawaii or uh, go on a cruise or things like that but now I've got to give up stuff like that because I just can't afford it Pierce says this is not what he had imagined for himself but now all he can really do is focus on living a simpler life I bought this thing, I'm, I'm five or six minutes from the hospital, I'm ten minutes from my doctor, I'm, everything was nice and close, my grandkids, and then my other daughter moved over here, and so both my daughters are here, I've got lots of friends now, and I had old friends that I've had for many years to live here, in that respect I've got a good life, I've got a nice house, I've got a roof over my head, I eat well, you know, I've got the basics, and for that I'm thankful. Although Pierce questions whether his ex-friend and financial advisor had no knowledge he was selling a scam, it's not Patel, but his credit union that he feels most betrayed by. The Coast Capital group of victims feel that their membership is more a liability than a privilege, and that their credit union fought them every step of the way. 
crazy. If they had thrown the lawyer money into what they paid us, we would have gone on television and said, you know, Coast Capital, they're amazing. We offered to do that. We said, you know, if we can settle this and we can come out, you know, let's save the legal fees and put it into the... We'll go out in the public and say, this is what happened to us. And Coast stood up and took responsibility. Yeah. They are amazing. No, they didn't, weren't interested. Ironically, the involvement of Coast Capital, TD Canada Trust, and the Royal Bank of Canada are the reasons that the victims received any money back at all. It's the only reason Scott Nickel agreed to represent the victims group. Frankly, I probably would not have taken this one, but from the involvement of the financial institution. And so I went back to my partners at the time. And typically firms who deal with this kind of work, because it tends to be fairly high risk, because, you know, particularly with Ponzi schemes, the likelihood of recovery is quite low and the amount of time and the investment it takes is quite high. So I eventually went back to my partners and said, you know what, this is one where there's financial institutions involved there's a chance we might actually get some money for these people. In episode four, we'll get deeper into the experience of the Coast Capital Victims Group. We'll investigate the involvement of the other banks and see how much money was returned to the victims. Hi, I'm David Messia, a co-producer of the Victim Impact Podcast. If you liked what you heard in this episode and want to hear how the story will unfold, please make your gift online at conspiracy.ca now. Our goal right now is $2,500. We need the help of our listeners, you, to continue the research and writing of this story. Victim Impact is researched and written by myself, Tim Carlson with additional research by assistant Gavin Chima and Kathleen Flaherty. Kathleen is also co-producer and editor. Co-producer David Messiha composed the original music and engineered the recording. We'll be uploading episodes regularly in the lead-up to the production of the stage play Victim Impact at the Culture in Vancouver in June. Tickets are on sale now. Go to www.conspiracy.ca for more information.